Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Rich. I have the opportunity to uh, share with you this morning. So really uh, thankful uh, for the opportunity to, uh, to be here. And uh, we're wrapping up our top 10 series on the Ten Commandments today. And I don't know about you, but if you've been with us, you know, throughout this uh, entire series, today is kind of a kind of a sad day. I feel like I'm saying goodbye to an old friend. I don't know about you. Uh, we've been in this uh, series since May. And uh, so this is, to my knowledge, the longest uh, series that we've ever had at, at Grace Community. And so uh, honestly, you know, next week when, when we come in here, it's going to be strange to me, you know, looking at the stage and not seeing the top 10 stuff, uh, stage design, but seeing something different and everything. So so it's going to be a little weird uh, for me coming in and next week. But uh, I can tell you this, uh, this series has been good for me. Um, and I think it's been good uh, for us as, as a church uh, to go through this. A lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, study, a lot of time goes into trying to decide what, what we're going to talk about at Grace Community. And uh, I just really feel like this has been something that our church has needed to hear and something that God wanted us to hear. And so I've been uh, thrilled to, uh, you know, to listen uh, to this and to learn uh, from, from this as well. Uh, so we get to, uh, to wrap it up uh, today, though. But um, one of the biggest problems that uh, people have with the Ten Commandments is they, they often go to the Ten Commandments as proof that God is all about rules, that, that he's about the rules, that if we do this and if we do that, uh, we can earn God's approval more and that God will love us more. And um, we, we kind of uh, looked at that, you know, our very first week uh, back in May and kind of addressed that idea and said that, that that's a false idea. That's a misconception that, that the Ten Commandments are, are not about that at all. We learned that God didn't give his people the Ten Commandments to follow to make them his people. He gave them the Ten Commandments to follow because they were his people. The relationship had already been established. God had already established the relationship with them. So following the Ten Commandments doesn't establish the relationship with God. You follow the Ten Commandments because, because of your relationship with God. The Ten Commandments were not given as a condition of God's love and approval. They were given because of God's love and approval. And we kind of talked about the idea that it's what, a, what any good parent does. I set rules for my kids. I don't set rules for your kids. I set rules for my kids. And I set the rules because they're my kids. They don't become my kids when they follow the rules. I give them the rules because they are my kids. And so God gave his kids the Ten Commandments in the context of a relationship that he initiated with them. And every relationship, every relationship will always begin and end with trust. And so it's our trust in God that leads to our obedience of God. And so if our motivation for obedience uh, to the rules is anything other than love and devotion and trust in God, then we are completely missing the point of the rules. The rules are not about earning God's approval. The rules are about trusting that God knows what's best for our lives. Our trust will always lead to our obedience. And so that was the big picture that we set for all of the Ten Commandments, that, that it's, it's not about earning God's approval, it's about expressing our trust in God, that God knows what's best, and that he has set these guidelines for us, and we follow them because, because we're his kids. And so I think it's been a good journey for us, and we get to uh, wrap it up today. 
And I'm excited about the, that opportunity to uh, just speak with you uh, this morning a little bit. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look at verse 17. And this is the last of the Ten Commandments. If you need a Bible uh, here in the main or over in the link, just put up your hand and an usher will be around and, and they will give you a Bible. But Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. <clears throat> and when you find it, would you go ahead and stand? And uh, we're going to read this verse out loud together and stand and honor God's word uh, while we read it. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Let's go ahead and read. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Thanks. You can go ahead and have a seat. Now, <clears throat> when I read that verse, as I read that verse, and I read the first part of that verse, I, I look at that, and honestly, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Uh, as I read the first part of verse 17, I'm feeling pretty good about myself because, you know, it says, do not covet your neighbor's house. I, I am very, very content in our home. I, I, we have a very modest home, and honestly, I just, I just love our home. I love where it's at. I love the location, love the yard. Just, just, just really feel content in our home and would be thrilled to, to stay, you know, in that home. The rest of my have no problems, no issues with our home whatsoever. So that's not really an issue. And then I, it says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. And I'll tell you this, I am incurably in love with my wife. I am. My wife is just absolutely the best. I have the most amazing wife in the world, and I am just head over heels in love with her. I am not coveting anybody else's wife or anything like that or looking at any of that stuff. I just am madly in love with my wife, and so I'm feeling good about that. You know, and then I read, you know, uh, manservants, or none of my friends have maids, none of my friends have butlers, you know, so it's not like that's not even an issue. And then it comes up and it says, don't covet an ox or a donkey, and I have no desire ever <laughs> to have an ox, no desire ever to have a donkey. Um, I've been to the fair. I've experienced the smells. I want nothing uh, to do with an ox or a donkey. And so I'm reading that and I'm like, finally something that I feel good about, you know, finally something that I'm, you know, I'm not feeling like, oh, I'm just lousy and just failing and all that kind of, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. And then I get to the last part of the verse. It says, or anything Anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so, that means any possession, any ability, any personality traits, any physical characteristic, you shall not covet anything. And the word anything there brings me back to reality real quick. And I realize that I'm not as good as I sometimes think I am. Um, coveting is a word that uh, we don't use very often these days. Honestly, the only time I ever hear the word coveting is in context with the Ten Commandments. That's the only time I ever, ever hear that word. And so it's not a word that we use very much these days. But, but envy is a word that we use often. Envy is something that we know, and coveting and envy are the same thing. They can be used interchangeably, and we know what it's like to envy. 
And I don't know about you, but even when I hear that word envy, like it just, it, it carries just an ickiness with it. I, it's, maybe it's just me, but I just, you know, when I hear the word envy, it's just like, ugh. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a pleasant word. It's not a character trait that we really long to have. You know, you never hear anybody say, when I grow up, I just want to be envious. Man, that would be the best thing ever if I could just be envious, you know, when I grow up. You know, you never hear a wife talk about her husband and, and say, I really love my husband's envious personality. I just love that he is envious. Him being envious, that just makes him so hot. I just love it. You know, no, you just never hear that. You know, it's not a character trait that we long to have or that we want to have. Um, But I can tell you this, it's something that probably many of us struggle with. Many of us will struggle with it. Envy always starts with comparing yourself to another person. I want to say that again. That's important for us to, to hear. Envy will always start with you comparing yourself to another person. And there are probably some of you who have done that already this morning. Some of you have come in here this morning, and even this morning, you have already started comparing your life to other people, and possibly even other people sitting next to you. People here in the main, people over in the link. And you may be envious because you feel someone else is more attractive than you are. Or you may be envious because you look at this other person and you're like, wow, they are a whole lot thinner than I am. Or you may be envious because someone else is married and you wish that you were married. Those of you that are married, some of you are envious because people are single. Uh, And um, (laughs) um, it's true. Uh, Some of you. Some of you are envious because there's people around you that have children and you wish you had children. And then there are those of you with children and you're like, oh, I just long for the freedom that I had when we didn't have kids. You know, so you're envious of people without kids. Some of you are envious of the achievements of someone else's kids. Some of you are envious because other people's lives seem to be going better than yours. And so even in church, Even in church, a place where we come to worship God and a place where we come to do business with God, we can become so obsessed with other people around us, not just what they own and not just their possessions, but the abilities that they have, the personality that they have, the physical appearance that they have. We can become so obsessed with those things that we totally miss any opportunity to connect with God because that is what envy does. Envy causes us to obsess over things that ultimately do not matter. It causes us to obsess over things that ultimately do not matter. Envy distracts us, it divides us, it burdens us, and it takes our eyes off of what our mission as followers of Jesus Christ is to be, and the enemy loves it. It's exactly what the enemy wants to see happen in our lives. And I believe that's why he probably tries to work so hard at getting us to to envy, at getting us to compare, because it distracts us and causes us to obsess over things that in the big picture do not matter at all. Now, coveting or envy can be defined as this. It can be defined as a painful and resentful awareness of the advantages of another. A painful and resentful awareness of the advantages of another accompanied by a strong desire to possess the same advantage. 
can be described or defined as a painful and resentful awareness of the advantages of another accompanied by a strong desire to possess the same advantage. And so it's like, it, it sounds like this. It's like, man, I, I just wish I had that. My life would be so much better if I had what they have, if I owned what they owned. I would be so much more happy if I had the space in my house like they have the space in my house. That's why I'm miserable because I feel so cooped up and everything. I just wish I had that. Or man, I just wish I looked like them. I would be popular too if I looked like them. Or man, I just wish I had their personality. I wish I had their sense of humor. It doesn't matter what it is. I wish I had Jesse's girl. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. Envy always starts with comparing yourself to another person. It will always start with that. And if I can be honest with you, this right from the front here, I hate envy. I hate it. I despise it. And there are several reasons behind my hatred for envy, but the main reason is probably because it's the commandment that I battle the most. If I can just be honest with you, This is probably the commandment that I battle the most in my life because envy has been a temptation and a struggle for me as far back as I can remember. As far back as I can remember. I remember in middle school, I remember in middle school comparing my clothes and my complexion to to my classmates. Oh man, if I just had the nicer clothes, I wish I had the Levi's. I'm here wearing tough skins. You know, I wish I had the Levi's. I wish I wasn't using Stridex all the time. My face is so broken out. I'm popping pimples and blackheads all the time. Oh, I just feel, you know. And so I'm comparing my clothes and my complexion. When I moved to high school, it was comparing my athletic ability or my lack of athletic ability and my social status. So if I was just more athletic, I could probably be more popular and just have a bigger group of friends. Whenever I moved to college, I was an athletic training major in college. And so in college, I was comparing my ability as an athletic trainer all the time and thinking things like, I'm a whole lot better than this guy. This guy doesn't have a clue, but that girl is really good and I don't think I'm as good as her. And then I'm always comparing myself to people, even when I moved to seminary. So I'm in seminary and I'm comparing my ability as a speaker. I'm comparing my knowledge of theology to my classmates and to other people. And even today, even today here in ministry, it's still a struggle because there are times when I find myself, find myself battling the the comparison trap of, of comparing my ability as a leader or comparing the state of our youth ministry to, to other leaders or to other youth ministries, you know, and, and thinking, man, you know, they have more kids in their youth ministry, so there must be something wrong with me or something wrong with ours, or man, he is such a better leader than I am. Why can't I be like that? You know, and so it's this trap of constantly comparing myself to, to, to other people. And so the temptation is always there. The temptation is always there. And I think we all have certain temptations, certain struggles that, that we battle uh, more than others. And this one is, this one is mine. This is, this is the battle that I think every morning I get up and face. And there, there are, you know, days when I do great with it. And then there are days when, when I lose the battle and take steps backwards and days when I'm taking steps forwards. Uh, but, it's, but it's a battle that I fight every single day. See, all of the other commandments that we went over over these weeks, all of the other commandments are, are, are focused on our actions. You know, they're, they're focused on what we do, on how we act. And I'm fairly good at monitoring my actions. I'm fairly good at that. 
But following Jesus is not about monitoring our actions. Following Jesus is not about what we do. Following Jesus is about our hearts. It's about our heart because every thought, every word, every action, every insecurity, every motive, who we are as a person is launched from our hearts. Jesus said this himself. He said in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, I'll just go ahead and read the verses to you, but this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, for from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. And so it all comes from our hearts. Every action, every thought, every motive, it all comes from our hearts. And I'm not talking about the physical heart. I'm not talking about that thing that's beating in us right now, but I'm talking about that thing that, that, thing that got broken the 11th grade when that girl said she just wanted to be friends. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that thing that swells with pride every time you see your kids do something amazing. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that thing that got broke when Steve Bartman got in the way of that foul ball, man. Ah, oh, just still brings back bad, bad memories. You know, when the Cubs could not win that, that um, series. Uh, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about the place that drives our motives and the place that drives our morals. It's the thing that no one can see, but that everyone knows is there. It's our heart. That is what Jesus is focused on because everything we do flows from our heart. Everything we do, who we are as a person comes from our hearts. Envy, envy is a heart issue. Envy is a heart issue and it speaks the language of discontentment in our lives. And we envy because we compare ourselves to others and we see a difference between what we have and what we feel like we deserve we should have. And so envy will always ask the question, why you and not me? It always asks that question. Why does it have to be you who has that? Why can't it be me? I was reading uh, just this past week a fascinating story about envy. And it's a story that we're going to briefly look at uh, this morning. It's in Numbers chapter 12. It's in the Old Testament. If you're in Exodus right now, you just turn over a couple books. You see Exodus and then Leviticus and then Numbers. It's Numbers chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 of, of Numbers chapter 12. It's just honestly, to me, as I was reading, I was just fascinated by reading this story about envy and God's response to, uh, to the people that were envious in this story. So it's Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. I'll just go ahead and, and just start reading and we'll talk a little bit about it in a bit. Um, it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. He has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. I just want to stop right there and explain something real quick. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Uh, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. And when you look at the two words, talk against, uh, that's, a, that's a, a Hebrew verb that is a feminine singular verb. And all that means is this, is that the talking against was mainly associated with Miriam. 
And so Miriam was the one that was, that was instigating this. Miriam was the one that was holding the biggest grudge. Miriam was the one that was, that was starting this. Aaron followed along gladly and willingly. But this started with, with Miriam. I uh, just wanted to point that out to you. Um, you'll see why in just a little bit. Um, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. The tent of meeting was the place that Moses would go to whenever he would meet with God, whenever he would hear from God. And so this is sort of like being called to the principal's office for them. Could you imagine that? God says, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Bad things sound like they're going to happen. So they're getting called to the uh, principal's office. It says, uh, then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said this, listen to my words. I don't know if I ever want to hear God say that to me. Um, <laughs> probably nothing good is going to happen afterwards when God says, Listen to my words now. Uh, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. Uh, he sees the form of the Lord. And when, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Verse 9 says, the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Miriam receives the harshest uh, discipline here, because remember back in verse 2, she was the one instigating this, and so that's why she gets the harshest discipline. Miriam turned uh, uh, Aaron uh, turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. And so Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. And the Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Dads, don't do that. Um, this is a confusing thing. Don't spit in your daughter's face. Um, the, uh, uh, it's sort of a cultural context thing that, that applies to a daughter doing something uh, disgraceful to the father or disgraceful to the family. And then it says, Would she not have been put outside of the camp for seven days, been in disgrace for seven days? It's kind of like a, kind of like a timeout kind of thing. And so uh, it says, Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam receives a seven-day timeout. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until she was brought back. Okay, we're going to stop right there. What I want to do is just kind of point out some observations from this story and then talk about, you know, how envy came to, came to be in this story and then uh, take it apart from there. But it says a couple of things that I just want to point out from this story. First of all is this. You can read early on in the book of Exodus that Aaron and Miriam are Moses's brother and sister. And so if you're wondering who Aaron and Miriam are, talked about in this story, they are Moses's older brother and older sister. And so 
Um, sibling rivalry, I think, is timeless. This story occurred thousands of years ago, but fi- family dynamics are probably the same thousands of years ago as they can often be today. Sibling rivalry is timeless. If you come from a family where there is more than one sibling, or if you're a parent of more than one child, you have probably experienced some sibling rivalry in your life. My kids are young. We have four kids. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-month-old. And if you're wondering why we have four kids so close together, it's because my wife just can't keep her hands off me. That's the only reason. Um, So, uh, but I digress. We won't go on. Um, (laughs) I keep asking, can't we just cuddle? I keep asking her. Um, But uh, she, anyway, we'll just, just move on. Okay. Uh, But Even at these young ages, even at the young ages that that I have the kids, sibling rivalry goes on with them, and it all revolves around the idea of fairness. If, If I give one of my kids a drink of something, the other automatically wants a drink. It doesn't matter what it is. If I read a book to my daughter, Mercy, my son, Ezra, automatically wants me to read a book to him. If I give my daughter, Torah, a bite of a cookie that I'm eating, my daughter, Mercy, automatically wants a bite. And it doesn't matter what it is. Seriously, I could be eating dog poop. And if I gave one of my kids a bite of dog poop, the others, the others would come up to me and say, give me a bite. I want a bite of the dog poop. Please give me a bite. And I, it's dog poop. You don't, you, why? you want to bite? It's not fair. They got to bite. It's not, you know, and so it doesn't matter what it is. It all revolves around the idea of fairness. It's not fair. And that phrase, that phrase, it's not fair, gets taken from the home into school. That phrase, it's not fair, gets taken from the home into work, into church, into friendships, that that sense that you have something that I really wish I had, and it's not fair. Do you know what that is? That is envy. And envy can show itself in nearly every area of our lives. Moses was the younger of the three, but he had risen to the highest level of leadership in the nation of Israel. And, and I'm just speculating here, but this may have been really hard for Aaron and Miriam to deal with. They were the older ones. They were the ones who, growing up, probably had all the responsibility and took care of them and all that kind of stuff. And, and they might have been asking themselves, why, did it, why is it Moses? Why isn't it us? It's not fair. Something else from the story that I thought was interesting is this. Um, it's important to realize that Aaron and Miriam both held very high positions of leadership in the nation of Israel. You can also read about this in, in the book of Exodus, but, but Aaron was the high priest over the entire nation, which meant that, that he was the spiritual head over the nation. He was the high priest for the nation. And so he held an incredibly important leadership role in the nation of Israel. And Miriam was a prophetess, a, a leader among the women of the nation of Israel. And you can read in Exodus chapter 15 that it seems like Miriam had the ability to lead music. And so she might have been a worship leader even in, in the uh, nation of Israel. And so both of them held very high positions of leadership But as they looked at Moses' position and his specific calling, both Aaron and Miriam became envious. They were no longer satisfied with their gifts. 
They were no longer satisfied with their abilities. They were no longer satisfied with their roles of leadership, and they felt they deserved more. Now, uh, remember, envy always wants what someone else has. And so it's always reaching, always longing, always wanting. And the more we give into it, the more we'll find that it is never satisfied. And so I think they became envious of Moses's position. It's also interesting uh, to me that verse one says that Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses about his Cushite wife, his Cushite wife. But that was not the issue. Moses' wife, who he was married to, was not the issue. They only used that as a smokescreen to cover up the real issue because we can find out the real issue when we look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has the Lord only spoken through him? And so they begin to say things like, Moses isn't the only one that God can use here. He's not the only one that can be used by God. Hasn't God spoken through us too? And so right there, you see the comparison. Right there, they begin comparing themselves to Moses. And comparing almost always leads to envy. Almost every single time, comparing leads to envy. I know it's not good English, but comparing yourself to someone else does no good for nobody. Comparing yourself to someone else does no good for nobody because when you compare yourself to someone else, this is what happens. You you just don't win. You just can't win when you compare yourself to someone else because this is what happens. If you compare yourself to somebody else, you may look at that other person and think that that other person is better than you. And what that will do is possibly cause a sense of inferiority, a sense of shame, which will often develop a sense of envy in your life. And so if you compare yourself to another person and think that they're better, you can start to feel a sense of shame and begin to envy. But if you compare yourself to another person and think that you are better, if you think that you are better than them, what you can be doing is beginning to develop a sense of pride in your life. And so when you compare yourself, you're either starting the process to envy or starting the process to pride. And it's just, you, you just don't win. You just don't win when you compare yourself to someone else. You can't envy without comparing yourself to another person. And as Aaron and Miriam began to compare themselves to Moses, envy began to sink its teeth into them. And they began to ask the question, why him and not us? It's not fair. But what they did is they tried to cover up their envy with some other issue. They tried to make it Moses' problem and not their problem. And how many times do we do the same thing in our lives? How many times do we do the same thing in our lives? There are people in your life, people you work with, people you go to school with, people you go to church with, that if you and I were to to go out to Starbucks and we're to sit down at one of the tables and just start talking about some of these people that are in your life and, 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 and you tell me, I just don't like this person. I just don't like them. Yeah I, I, yeah, I just can't stand them, honestly. I just don't like them. And, and if I were to ask you the natural question, well, why? Why don't you like them? You may say something like this. You may say, well, she's just too pretty. 
if you're that pretty and that thin, you've got to be fake. And I'm, I don't like fake people, and so I just don't like her. And so when, when the reality is, it's not that you don't like her, but it's, it's that you envy her because you're comparing yourself. And when you compare yourself, you may feel inferior. And so, of course, of course you're not going to like her. Or you may something, say something like this, well, I just don't like him. Well, tell me why. Why don't you like him? Well, his kid, his kid gets all the playing time on the field. And he takes playing time away from my son. And I know why he gets all the playing time. It's because the dad is friends with the coach. And they just use that relationship. And he steals the playing time from my son. And my son's not going to get a college scholarship. And he's going to end up in prison because he doesn't get on the field to play. You know, and, and you just make all these leaps and I just can't stand him because of, because of this. When the reality is probably, his son is probably a better athlete than yours, but you're envious because his son gets the playing time and yours doesn't. Or maybe it's things like this. Did you see their new house? (laughs) Did you see it? They are obviously not using God's money the way it should be used. Did you know that? Yeah. I, I bet I could probably afford a house like that if I didn't tithe, um, but I tithe, and because I tithe, I use God's money the way it's supposed to be used, and, and they obviously aren't because they have a house, and what is that, a roof on it? Yeah, well, yeah, they are not using God's money the way that it needs to be, and so, but the reality is you may simply be envious that God has blessed them more financially than he has blessed you. Or you say things like, I can't stand him. He's, a, he's just a suck-up. You know, I work just as hard as he does. I'm probably better at what I do than he is. But he gets the raise, and I don't. He gets promoted, and I don't. It's just not fair. And the reality is, is it's just you're envious. You want what they have. That's, that's all that it is. And so, but we've become really good at covering up our envy because it's a whole lot easier to make up some reason why we don't like someone than to speak the truth, which is, I just really envy them. It's a whole lot easier to do that. And so what we do is we make them the problem and we cover up our envy by finding acceptable ways to express our resentment. Remember this. Remember, envy is a heart issue, but we try to make it a people issue because it makes the other person look bad and not us look bad. Aaron and Miriam were envious of what Moses had to the point where they started to cover up their own envy by making Moses the problem. They were making Moses the problem. We are, and we're so good at doing that, but men and women do not be deceived. God knows our hearts. And verse 9 says that the anger of the Lord burned against them. It burned against them because they were envious. Why would envy create such anger in God? I think the reason it creates such anger in God is because envy does nothing but breed division. It does nothing but breed division, especially among the people of God. When followers of Jesus allow envy to rot in their bones, it does nothing but set us against each other. And seriously, there are people dying and going to hell, and we are more concerned about a kid who gets more playing time than our son. There, every 26 seconds, there is a a young girl on the other side of the world who is sold into sex slavery. Every 26 seconds, that happens. And we are more concerned that this girl fits in a size four and we can't. Do you see how petty this is? 
Envy is incredibly petty, and it causes us to take our eyes off of what really matters because we are only concerned with ourselves, and we are only concerned with what we don't have. It just causes us to miss everything. I was, how can, I was trying to think of how I could illustrate that, and I thought of it this way. This is a, got a mirror here. Um, this is a mirror, and obviously a mirror is used to, to look at yourself and everything, but, but this is what envy does. Envy causes me to only think of myself, and I only see myself. And so, yes, I am facing your direction, but I don't see you because I only see myself. I'm turning this way, and I'm facing your direction, but I don't see you because I only see myself. And that is what envy does. Envy causes us to miss everything else around us. It causes us to miss every opportunity around us because we're so focused on ourselves and what we have or what we don't have and it becomes such a petty, trite issue that, that, and the enemy loves it. The enemy loves it because it's exactly what he wants to see happen. To take us off mission and distract us and to get us obsessed over ourselves. James chapter 3 says that envy is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. And so envy, we try to make it someone else's problem. We try to make it a people problem, but envy is a heart problem. It's really our problem. So how can we fight it? How can we fight against it? This is how we can fight against uh, envy in our lives. As I mentioned earlier, this is something that I battle with every single day. And so I'm just trying to give you some practical things that I try to do every single day to win the battle of envy, to win the battle of that comparison trap that often goes on. The first thing is this. We need to be for one another and not in competition with one another. We need to be for one another and not in competition with one another. Um, Envy turns everyone into a competitor. It turns everyone into a competitor. And James chapter 3, verse 16 says this. It says, For where you find envy and where you find selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Nothing good comes from envy. Nothing good comes from selfish ambition. I have seen churches attack each other out of envy. I have seen pastors attack each other out of envy. I have seen church members attack each other out of envy. I have seen teammates attack each other out of envy. I have seen classmates attack each other out of envy. I have seen colleagues and friends and family members and co-workers attack each other out of envy. They have this selfish ambition a desire to be first, a desire to have the fame, a desire to have the popularity. And when someone else has it, they begin to focus on themselves and say, why them and not me? And they turn everybody into a competitor. And so when I find myself thinking that way, when I find myself not, uh, you know, making people into a competitor and not realizing that we're on the same team here, what I try to do is stop Sit down, have some time with God, and say, God, what is going on in my heart? Because if envy is a heart issue, there's something that is going on inside of me that is drawing me away from you, and it's causing envy to come into its place. 
And so I need to spend some serious time with God and some serious time uh, talking with him and asking him to reveal things to me, especially when I feel the urge to disgrace somebody because the urge to disgrace anyone always comes from pride. It always comes from envy. It always comes from hatred. Those are not things I want in my life. Those are not things we should have in our lives. Uh, Second way to fight against envy is this. Simply be grateful. Simply be grateful. You can't be envious and grateful at the same time. It is impossible to be envious and grateful at the same time. So if you're practicing gratitude, you can't be envious because abundance flows into your life when gratitude flows out of your heart. It's just how it works. And so what I try to do every day, I try to do this every day, but whenever I get up and have my time with God, what I try to do is is spend some time uh, expressing gratitude to God. It doesn't matter what it's for. Sometimes it's really big things that I'm thanking God for. We have seen God do just huge things in our family. And so I'll spend time thanking God for some of the huge things that he has done. And then there are other times when it's like, I just have a cup of coffee in my hand. And I'm like, God, thank you for this coffee. Because this is exactly what I need right now. Because I'm feeling pretty tired. You know? And so it's, 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 it's big things. It's small things. But it's expressing gratitude to God. I try to do that every day because gratitude is like a muscle. The more we do with it, the stronger it gets. So try to be grateful, express gratitude every single day. The third way that I fight against envy is by daily trying to remember that God has made me to be me. God has made me to be me. If I compare myself to others, I am denying my own uniqueness. God has not made you to be someone else. God does not want you to be someone else. God has gifted you to be you. And what he has called you to do, he has gifted you to do. And you will always accomplish more in your life when you simply allow yourself to be who God has made you to be instead of trying to be someone else. Because when you try to be someone else, you try to do what they do. You try to do the works that God has planned just for them. And God has not made you to be someone else. God has made you to be you. And so when you become comfortable with that, you begin to see the works, the good things that God has planned just for you. And you get to do those things. And that's the beautiful thing. God says, I have planned good things for you to do, but you will always miss them when you're trying to be somebody else and trying to do what those people have been gifted to do and you haven't been gifted to do. Um, I work with some amazing people here at the church. Uh, Jim, Maya, John, Jeremy, Andy, Max, uh, Jana, Darlene, uh, Andy, all, everybody. I'm missing people, but everybody that works here is, is they are amazing people. And uh, I try to learn from them every single day. And I, I, I try to, you know, follow their examples and learn from their examples. But what I don't try to do is I don't try to be them. I don't try to be them. And I was trying to think of how could I illustrate that. And so I tried to thought of it this way. I got some, got some stuff right here. Um, some clothes in the bag. We got, let's just think of it this way. Uh, Pastor John is a Phillies fan. And so um, if I am trying to be John, you know, and this is just a silly way to illustrate it, but, but um, you know, 
it would mean I'm kind of trying to put on his clothes. And so he's a Phillies fan. Also, John is, you know, lean and muscular and uh, smaller than I am. And so this shirt is going to be tight, but you might hear some feedback as I put this on over the mic here. But uh, there we go. So I'm putting on, putting on his outfit here. And I'm not meant to fit in this size of a shirt. You know, it's just not, I do not have, I, my body is like, get me out. You know, and so uh, this is not the type of shirt that I'm to fit in. You know, and then there's also, you know, the Phillies hat. And so I don't, I, I don't like the Phillies. And so it's kind of weird putting this on. But this is, if I'm trying to be John, this is what happens. And then there's Andy. Andy is, you know, the new tech director here and everything like that. Um, but Andy is very artsy and everything. And so he has like the artsy glasses. And so if I'm trying to be him, you know, I got the artsy glasses on too and all that kind of stuff. And then there's Jeremy, Jeremy who leads worship over in the, over in the link and everything. And Jeremy's like one of those guys, some guys are just cool, you know, and Jeremy is just one of those cool guys. Like it doesn't matter what he wears. He just looks good in it. His hair, I think he wakes up and his hair looks good. You know, it's just like all kinds of stuff, you know, and he has the, he has all the tattoos and just looks cool. And so if I'm trying to be Jeremy, this is what it looks like. And so here I go, putting on the tattoos, <laughs> getting that. And Jeremy also wears skinny jeans. And so, um, because he can. And so, so I, uh, you know, I got a pair of jeans. And so if I'm trying to be Jeremy, yeah, this is what, this is what it's like. So get, <laughs> so yeah, this is not going to work, but this is kind of, <laughs> this is what it's like when you try to be somebody else you're not meant to be, you know, like, it's just weird. You, you just look strange. You just look different. And, and so like, I can't serve effectively like this. Could you imagine us sitting, you know, having a counseling session, and I'm like, God can really use you. He really can. Just be who he created you to be, and you're going to be great. And God has done so much in my life. Look at me. You know, this, you know, this is, it, it's, you know, kind of a silly way. I can't, I can't be effective when I'm trying to be somebody else. I just can't. And so, um, <laughs> Give me a second to get out of this. Uh, <laughs> I think these are Ginger's jeans and not Jeremy's. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but so, yeah, this is just what happens. You know, I'm not cool in skinny jeans. I'm not cool in the artsy glasses. I'm not cool in the Phillies hat or the, the Phillies attire here. That, yeah. All right, so there we go. Not, this is actually kind of cool right here. So let <laughs> um, me just keep that on. Um, but uh, this is not who God has made me to be. This is who God's made me to be. And, and God... God has made you to be you. And, and the danger that happens when we compare is that, is that we try to be people that we're not. And God says, don't do that. Don't you know that I have made you exactly how I want you to be? And when you try to be somebody else, you're going to miss the things that I have planned for you because you'll be too busy trying to do the things that you weren't planned to do. So, 
Last thing is this. Last way to fight envy in your life is just to run your race. Run your race. What do I mean by that? I, uh, I like to run. Um, I enjoy running. I've run, um, you know, some races here and there and stuff like that. I got, this is, this is Sunburst Half Marathon right there. This is uh, Lake City Marathon 2010. Uh, it's my Tough Mudder headband. Uh, Indy Half Marathon, Indy Half Marathon. So I, I like to run and enjoy, and, and enjoy doing those things. But I am in no way a great runner at, at all. Um, and I have some, some stories that can illustrate that. Uh, a few years ago, I was running um, out, on, uh, out on, I think it was on Green Road. I was passed by a lady pushing a baby carriage. Um, I was. And so she was running too, uh, um, and she passed me. And that was pretty humbling. Um, I, was, uh, in the, I ran the Indy Half Marathon this past May. And uh, was passed by a guy pushing another guy in a wheelchair. Um, and so, so this guy passes me, and I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, you're pushing somebody, in a, you know. And so, so I'm like trying to speed up and catch up. When I ran my uh, marathon in 2010, I was literally passed by a lady that was in her mid-60s. And um, I wanted to trip her so bad. Like, I was just like, get out of here, you know. Um, but, but she was fast. She was a fast lady. Um, and so, so I'm trying to, you know, I, I like to run, but, but I'm not a great runner um, in any way at all. Now, in a race, what goes on, if I am trying to run with people that are a lot faster than I am, if their pace is just going to be faster than my pace— Um, If I'm trying to run with the people that I'm not meant to run with, I am going to burn out. Now, I could probably keep up with them for a little bit, but I will not run the race to my fullest potential because I'm trying to keep up with them, and they are just simply faster than I am. Uh, Now, likewise, if I am running my race with the people that are slower than me, I'm not going to run to my fullest potential either because I'm never pushing myself. I'm never stretching my limits. I'm never getting myself to that point where you're like, yeah, this is, this is, this is it. This is as far as I can go. No, I think I can go a little bit faster, little, you know, because I'm hanging back with people that are slower than I am. And so if I do that, I'm never going to run the race to my fullest potential either. What I have to do is just run my race. Run the race that I was created to run. All of these medals that I have here, all of these things, I didn't get any of these for winning, um, but I did get them for finishing. And, and, I, and I trained hard, and I pushed myself, and I wasn't lazy and I knew that there were times when, when I was going to have to, you know, get up early and run or stay up late and run and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I did, you know, the best with what I have. I can honestly say that. Did I win? No. But I did finish. And that's what God calls us to do. God calls us to finish our race. He doesn't call us to run somebody else's race. He doesn't call us to, <clears throat> to run with people faster or run with people slower. Calls us to run our own race. All I need to do is run my own race to the best of my ability to stretch myself, to push my limits, but to realize that my limits are not someone else's limits, nor are their limits my limits. All God asks of me is to give my best to whatever responsibilities He brings my way. So, whether I'm leading a youth ministry of 10 kids, or a thousand kids. I need to do my best. 
Whether I'm speaking to five people or 5,000 people, I need to do my best. I need to push myself. I need to stretch myself. And I always need to give more than I think I can give because that's going to allow me to do my best. At the end of the day, the hard truth is this. God has not distributed everything evenly. He has not distributed everything evenly. God has given out different spiritual gifts, different abilities, different roles, different measures of wealth, different body types, different mental and physical abilities, different passions and skill sets. It's God's sovereign right to distribute the gifts however and to whoever he chooses. None of us decide which gifts we will receive. We are just called to do the most with what we have been given. In other words, you just run your race. You run your race. I don't know where you find yourself at today. Um, If there are some of you in here that this is not an issue for you, if envy is not an issue for you, um, I really envy you, uh, because I wish it wasn't my issue. Um, But if this is not an issue for you, that is awesome. That is praise God that, that you're able to, to have victory over this and gain victory over this and everything. There, I, I, my feeling is there's probably some of us in here that struggle a little bit, that we wish that we had something somebody else has, or we wish we were, had this personality, or we wish we had that ability, what, whatever it is. Um, at the end of the day, envy is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And if you struggle with it, it means that you need to do some business with God and have God do some work in your heart. Uh, there's a, a verse in Proverbs chapter 14. I'm just going to read it to you. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. And it says this. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30. It says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And so... You have a choice as you leave here today, a choice to walk out of here uh, striving to be content with who God has made you to be, striving to be content with what he is giving you, pushing yourself to do the absolute best with your body and your gifts and your abilities and all that kind of stuff. But, but a body at peace, it brings, brings life. A heart at peace gives life to the body. Or the other choice is to wish you were somebody else, to wish you had something else, to wish you could do those things and allow that to eat at you. And what the Bible says is envy rots the bones. And so the choice is yours as you leave here today. But uh, what I just want to do right now, I just want to give you just about 30 seconds to uh, sit quietly and uh, just to do a little bit of business with God and just say, God, um, I have been envious. Uh, I haven't been content with who you've made me to be. God, please forgive me. We just take a few seconds, do some business with God in quietness, let him speak to you, see if there's anything you need to repent of or get right of, and then I'll close this in prayer.
God, I come to you right now and just ask you to really uh, give us clean hearts. Reminded of, of the verse in Ezekiel that says that, that uh, you can give us, God, you, you can give us a new heart and you can give us a new spirit. And, and God, you say that you have made us new creations. And so, God, I pray that, that um, any envy that may be in our hearts, that um, we won't try to work our way out of that, but that we'll just continually go to you and just have you fill up our hearts. Because as you fill up our hearts, there's just not room for anything else. And so, um, God, I pray that you would just do that in our lives. Let us walk out of here ready to have our eyes open for what you've created us to do, not what other people are doing, but what you've created us to do. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.